Welcome back to Side Quest. This is our third exploration of Final Fantasy VII. And today we had the opportunity to go through Ares' house as well as Sector Sets and into Don Corneo's Wall Market, where we saw Tifa taken in very odd garb, says Ares. But before I move forward and give the introduction today, please let me introduce again our very enigmatic Mr. Vincent Reese, as well as our well studied Wesley Chance. Welcome back, guys. Hello, hello. Howdy. All right. And so I asked the guys today whether I could lead with something because something uh, I think everybody who listens to this will know, given that we're going to have a little bit of emotion on the show. And I think that's very important that we share our emotions, not only how we felt and sort of a nostalgic sense in relation to this game. Obviously, it imprinted on our souls. And that is why we continue to talk about it and think about it 20 years since we played it. Um, but also we experienced some emotion when we talk to each other, particularly when we have arguments. And so we had sort of a perennial argument via text message this, uh, <laughs> this week. And I imagine that that's, uh, that's not going to sound like a very odd thing to hear to most people listening now, just given how ubiquitous messaging people through text in a quick manner, whether it be email or IM, which is now a dated term, I'm, I imagine, and text messaging. And without having the actual person there with like say their particular nervous system uh, in uh, direct contact or semi-direct contact with you, it is so easy just to get bogged down in words and in intellectual um, disputes. But what our dispute was about was how one progresses through the game as a hero. And as one progresses as a hero in relation to party members who share your overarching goal and that that seems to split the game into protagonist party members and NPCs. And so what the debate seemed to hinge around was the idea that humans have selective attention where uh, uh, a very famous expression of that is the invisible gorilla task where humans are asked to count the number of times the white team passes a ball, which is like 16, but they fail to notice the gorilla that walks into the middle of the, screen and beats its chest and even if you do see that you don't notice that the curtain changes colors and that one of the players on the black team left what? Uh, yeah yeah so yeah. you can only notice that when you're prime because you see in accordance with your goal mm -hmm. and so our argument sort of hinged around me making the claim that it was scientifically agreed upon now that we perceive uh reality in accordance to what we are attempting to do at that time. And perhaps if you've ever screamed bloody murder at a perfect stranger who cut you off in a car, you have some evidence of that. Or if you've ever cursed God because uh, some coffee or water has been spilled onto you, thus ruining your goal of being impressive or perceived as anything but a slob for the rest of the day, then perhaps you have some insight into that. And so uh, the claim by that Vince was making was that, well, couldn't it be the case that each NPC is a hero within a story we don't see. And I think that's clearly true. But I think that they are represented as NPCs, non-player characters within the scope of a game, precisely because they have an inessential role to what you are focusing on. Um, and so it's perfectly possible that you're seeing people go through different games. And in fact, something rather sad, seeing the, um, the character of number two, who seems to be poisoned in the same way that Avalanche would say that the world is being poisoned, which I think the movie Advent Children gives evidence for. Um, so I think that suggests that some people are not doing so well in their journeys throughout that particular world. And uh, perhaps that gives us some insight into why we follow Cloud around. Um, perhaps he just embodies the role of hero best in this way. But I did want to connect this also in sort of an emotive way to our project, which is part of my evidence for believing that each person perceives himself as a hero with party members around them and thus draws people into contact with them by sharing goals, which I believe is the Christian message, Christian message um, where two or three are gathered in his name, there I am, it, is that you two were once my friends and we had similar goals of trying to graduate from St. John's and then we went our separate ways. And now during this project, that Wes and I have been spearheading. It seems uh, we're drawing people back into our lives in a different and yet similar way. And now we're sharing goals with Sarah Miller again, Oscar Ortiz, 
you, Wes, several of your friends who you've invited on, and we're drawing them back into the party. So it's as if people start as NPCs, but then when you have a goal, you then draw people towards you with similar goals and form a party. And that's the basis for friendship. And that throughout life, as your goals change, so do the people you're associating with. And uh, so does the nature of the connection with those people change. But it seems as if you can layer it too. If somebody wants a friend, seems all the more ready to come on another journey with you. And so it's as if we've already played Final Fantasy VII, but we're playing Final Se Fantasy VII Part Two now, get the game back together. At a, here comes another level. So poetic. Oh, so, good afternoon, that, gentlemen. <laughs> I think that fits the the question about NPCs, but it seemed like it was also a question about the 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 discussion itself that Vince was asking. Like, so, like, what are we really doing here? Yes. I think you answered, and I think you answered both those questions by kind of drawing them together like that. And it's a provisional answer. Like, of course, I think the best way to do it is to just continue talking. And that, that, that's where the, the theory will sort of emerge more clearly as we get more kind of practice at this. That's my, my opinion. But yeah, I and, I, and I, I, think, I think something interesting is that we really had devolved into an argument. Uh, that, mm. And I, I don't think it was a particularly productive argument for some time. But what we did manage to do is to cool off and then start asking each other questions and start taking each other's view. And I think Vince, you actually did that much better than I did. And I, I think it sort of helped that I said it was my first week back teaching and that I had continued the mm -hmm. argument during my sixth period on the fifth day in a oh, row. Oh, dude, you like were the doing end that of my week. school? Yeah, so, so I was like upset in my <laughs> oh, classroom. <laughs> that's why I was so short with you. But see, I think that's precisely the thing. Even though these are two of my best friends with whom I share goals and provisionally a goal of becoming what? world famous thinkers for doing this sort of thing. I was willing to destroy all of that just in, just because in an irritated mood, I could draw the Masamune and try and sever everything. And, <laughs> and I just think that's so interesting that that is precisely why discourse and giving your friends or the party members the benefit of the doubt is so important. Because if you, even with your friends, you will stop listening at a time and you have to take a moment to pause and reflect and come back to what your goals actually are. And if, if we get to a point as a people or where we can no longer speak to each other, uh, how is it that we can treat or discern the difference between a friend and someone who's not a friend? Hmm. Yeah. It's, it seems as if what makes somebody a friend is precisely the capacity to hash things out with words. Um, and so, yeah, hmm. I'm, I'm constantly just reminded of like, speaking of th this will be a correlation to the period that we went through in the game today with the, uh, with the gym, uh, all the dudes. <laughs> yes. um, I just got there. So let's not go beyond there, I and I thought that was so funny. Such a such a dig at gyms. It's like, yeah, yeah, dude, totally things like that. What do you mean? A lot of people, strong people, intake people. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, this is like uh, not. Well, uh, I'm gonna forget another Russian. Uh, what is name? What is the name of, uh, the, name of the beat poet? Who every every like twenty year old says is his favorite poet from Are Russia? You about Ginsburg? Not Ginsburg. He's I, I don't think Direct? he's Russian. Um, A the Russian sort of foul mouthed. And, uh, oh, Bukowski. Bukowski. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And this is a trigger warning. This is and this is actually from one of his poems. But he says he's like oh, God, he's like yeah. work you out at two a.m. What are you a faggot? And I'm not condoning that sort of language at all, but so much as saying that that connection was present not only by Russian, but also seemingly in Japan as well. Oh, yeah. What are you doing focusing on your appearance so much, man? And so I just want to say that I think this wall market and the whole notion of Aries wanting to help out Cloud no matter what, and his, the dream sequence where he sees his mother and she says, you should find somebody who should take care of you. And of course, you find the cover material in Aries's garden, uh, which has two waterfalls going down. Is that her vagina? In it, place. 
Um, <laughs> we can maybe talk about what that means later. But um, the idea seems to be that that uh, there's a changing right. idea of what makes a man in this section mm. of. So can, can I yeah. can I riff on that? Go ahead. So one thing that I learned in my two months and four thousand dollars in China were the two characters for man and woman, and mm. those two characters appear on the outside, respectively, of the gym and the brothel. Oh, that is a that is a fine connection, Vince. That is worth four thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, just so I can go podcast with it. Um, <laughs> well, yes, yeah. Go, well, is not a gym sort of an embodiment not only of a desire for health but of a masculine desire for beauty as well? Do you yeah. think that's why it's being made fun of in sort of a puerile fashion as well, being I, homosexual in nature? I was wondering if um, perhaps in that way, yes, but on a broader um, maybe characterization that this Walmart seems to be sort of a place of maybe not going to get the, the exact phrase that I want, but sort of a, uh, a, a hyperbole of certain um, human actions and characteristics. Um, yeah. So we have like the greed that Don Corneo is sort of embodying, but we also have this hyperbolic, idea of masculinity in this gym characterized by this uh this working out this fetishization of the um human male body and then we also have corresponding to it a sort of um female female. and both of those because of the presentation that they are in in wall market um, the, the writers, the creators of this game, um, maybe, or maybe they didn't even put this together, although I think the craft is there and they did, were trying to point that, they're, they're trying to show us that these are um, sort of, I can't remember the damn word, um, but I'll keep using hyperboles, hyperboles of human functions human roles maybe because i know that we are trying to discuss this in an archetypal format in line with roles so are these pathological roles that we are encountering well you i might wonder i think that's an excellent question but i might wonder if they're even accretions of general be or they are accretions of particular behaviors that have been molded into a general form that all can recognize because all partake of them in some way or another. Ooh. Ooh. And if that has some Ooh, if that has any meat to it, and Wes, I don't want to put you on the spot with this question because I just thought it up. So, uh, you know, it, it might be a tough one to answer, but I'm wondering if the fact that both the male form and female form as form is fetishized in this wall market, if the commentary is sort of that we do not simply exist in a time of exploitation of the feminine form, of the male form as well that that we're not simply exploiting during this me or advertising or image driven image uh age just the female but the male as well we're exploiting humans not just one whoa yeah yeah i mean uh it's well it's particularly when you remember playing this like as a kid as an adolescent not a man or a woman yet per se but just sort of in, in the path there then it's it's a it's especially disorienting to to come to this this part of the game where you're asked to um to see these roles at their exaggerated hyperbolic extreme and then and then be told that you're going to cross dress right? <laughs> to, to get so you have to sort of immediately uh blend them and um and and fill this completely different role that uh is is funny i think is like the point of it is the way it's presented like eris is sort of cackling because she's yeah getting one over on cloud here um cloud seems really really uncomfortable with it the whole <laughs> yes. uh, and uh as the player you're sort of left in limbo like how seriously to take this you can actually go into the um the honeybee rooms uh mm-hmm. it's not like a required element of the little journey in in wall market but you can actually do it and you see some like very, very upsetting scenes uh, in there, which 
I, I had completely forgotten if I ever did see them as a kid, like how disturbing they were. So I um, couldn't do that because uh, I'm a cuck and I don't have my PlayStation or my game yet. Uh, yeah. Could you describe some <laughs> of the um, some of the it's, things that were in there? Well, yeah, so, you, right before you do that, Wes, let okay. me just make a comment. I want to come come to that in a second, but um. Uh, it's funny because I have not done that. So it's funny how you can sort of mm. your journey by, yeah. by just what you happen to happen upon or what you light upon, I think is the best way of putting yeah. that. But I also wanted to ask you whether you thought that that might've, that the fact that there's this sort of gender confusion in this game and that there's, there's the, there are these overdone representations of um, a, the lascivious element of woman as perceived by man and also as man perceived by, I guess, man who's attracted to man, that mm -hmm. the idea is that in our culture, since we have sort of an ex exaggerated or hyperbolic view, uh, or that we have allowed our view of what is male or female to become uh, perhaps so one-sided and hyperbolic, <laughs> that instead of attempting to fix that image, we deny that image and try and mix them together that that creates tremendous and profound confusion for a young person. Um, and that perhaps what you see in Don Corneo's ma mansion, like what you can see on any internet porn site, is, a, is a, the chimeric reflection of that confusion, um, of the mixing together of that which should be kept at poles to maintain a tension between what is real. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, hold Sorry. on, my phone shook. Um, so with that, um, it it sounds like there is a recognition that these two polls are, as they're presented in Wall Market, are um, pathological. They're not healthy representations. Is that is that correct to take from the statement? Of Even if the actual embodiments could be healthy mm -hmm. how they're perceived at that moment and specifically okay. by market is pathological yes mm -hmm. and thus there's a solution sought that is potentially the wrong solution because the the diagnosis is wrong uh mm -hmm. the diagnosis is that the very ideas of masculine and feminine because of how we've perceived them and perhaps portrayed them are wrong and false whereas I think the appropriate diagnosis is we have been portraying them incorrectly and we should figure out what they really are. And those lead to very different actions. So then the, um, the sort of solution, the provisional, perhaps not the best solution, is this intermixing that Cloud does in order to infiltrate Don Corneo and then to also attempt to topple him in, in the mansion? Well, how do you take Don Corneo as a figure? He's sort of a slumlord, right? So he's a prevailing sort of archetypal figure of the system as it is. I, I'd like to, yeah. at, at the beginning of this right here, I just want to draw out a physical presentational semblance between uh, Don Corneo and Mr. Shinra. They both I, have blonde yeah, hair. So. They both have white um, Oxfords on. They both have red power suits. So another negative portrayal of the patriarchal father. Um, mm -hmm. and, and as if that is all men in some way. And that is the man that Cloud, as the Puera Eternus or the eternal child, um, running from who he actually is mm -hmm. towards um, ethereal and magical images of the feminine like Ares, who is flower girl amongst the slums and a creature from another world slash ancient race who you can choose who you can choose over Tifa who is very real though flawed which I actually did um, in this case uh, I actually wanted to ask you about that and I really did have some feelings when Aries when Aries asks who's Tifa your girlfriend and you have the chance to say no way or yeah that's right <laughs> I could never have, and I think this shows perhaps some, some growth on my part in the past, have chosen against Aries. Mm. She would have been the next best thing, and I think that's part of the difference between a childish 
and an adult perspective on relationship. That Aries represents the new anomalous girl who's magical as opposed to the one you already know who seems as known territory with all her flaws from the who has a real past. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of provisionally how I've been understanding Aries as sort of a the anima or the the sort of bloated figure of the feminine that an underdeveloped man called a puerai turnus would have that he attempts to marry because she is perfect and fantastic and keeps him from life rather than Tifa. And my evidence was that cover materia is in her home. She lives in an Edenic environment and to amplify Which is like that, completely yeah. absurd within the city. Like there's That's exactly right. waterfalls. That's, it's like I, I take it as like sort of the diamond in the rough as an archetype. Um, as as you can project that onto any place. And so probably that's actually just a slum as well. And probably she's not as magical as a real person as how we see her perceived. But as a projection of the anima, she is perfect as just like Calypso in the Odyssey who offers Odysseus immortality and an easy life for all eternity with the most beautiful woman alive in which he turns away from in order to be with, you know, in order to suffer and uh and have to fight until he dies well that's that's one one thing i might not fully agree with right now just because eris isn't we we might have these edenic presentations of eris these overly feminine presentations which um are of course going to be associated with a sort of uh Mm, uh, motherly caring instinct but we also see that she rejects um, the sort of path that would be ascribed to someone wanting to do that to Cloud she pushes Cloud to come onto this journey she uh, sort of gets in a in a hissy I agree agree. the one thing I would say is perhaps that makes her also a figure of the positive anima yeah that there she she leads him into life as well so i guess the yeah, that you were saying, talking about yes and i think that is what the anima does right the any woman you do not know so say the unions and this is piagetian as well you project an image onto because you have to have a basic way to interact with a person yeah and so it's a very general idea and then as you come to know the person you cut away at that but as you cut away from from that what are you cutting away that's the figure of the anima that you then replace with the real person. So can and, I go ahead? No, go on. Um, I good. just be, because you know we're going to have nerd readers who are going to want to sit in their basements and read. Um, I just want to possibly a thousand years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, possibly for a thousand years. Um, I just <laughs> want to throw out some uh, some book titles if they're interested in this idea of the puer. Um, to that come to my mind. Uh, are going to be Maria Louise von Franz um, sort of treatment of the puer. Uh, she uses both um, the Le Petit Prince uh, and also this German work that, have you still been looking for this? Because I still can't find it. It's I would called, love to find it just yeah. because I want to find the boys. Yes, it's called <laughs> Das Reich ohne Raum. Um, the kingdom without space and she has this very powerful treatment of both of those um so the text would be her treatment of that i forget what it is called um puer eternus yes thank you um you so the book she reviews that's right on a realm um le petit prince which has a very readily um available english translation but also um the Golden Ass by mm. Apuleius, yes. which is a phenomenal um, work from, I think, the first or second century. It's just completely profane. Um, like, well, let me pause you there. I, I think I can do Go ahead. I think, I think we can do some good with what you're saying because what it seems like you're suggesting is if the process of moving through a hero's journey is a process of individuation then at certain moments you have a chance to either progress or regress Mm -hmm. and that what 
the golden ass of Apuleius represents and that the protagonist becomes an ass until he finds essentially God mm-hmm. and is turned back into a man and a divine man at that. I amplify that with the Circe episode of the Odyssey. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where the men are turned into swine in the presence of Circe because of their failure to move to the next level, whereas Odysseus, helped by the psychopomp Hermes is the only one who comes out better and thus improves his companions through his example. Mm -hmm. And I suggest that Cloud here, as opposed to Don Corneo, is the man going on to the next step, as represented by the figure of the hero, where Don Corneo and every other man in that wall market is sort of represented as the swine or pigs that men can become when they fall... uh, when they fall short and go to Pleasure Island uh, and become brain asses <laughs> like in Pinocchio. Um, that when you deny the spiritual for the sensual, that you focus on the lowest form of the feminine and fail to um, progress to the next level in life, which is to be able to care not simply for simple pleasures, mm-hmm. but to take responsibility for one's relationships to real people mm-hmm. around one. So what What then, so how, how far have you gotten, Schmid? Have you um, completely just like, cross-dressed? What's that? I just got to the gym scene. So I've just gotten mm-hmm. my dress and I need to get my wig from the guys who are so <laughs> like me at the gym. Are, are you like, are you going full out? Are you looking good? Are you looking pretty? What, what have you got so far? I, I haven't been able to see that Tell yet. I just got there. But, um, right now I'm wearing, and so, oh, you got you gotta go you gotta go silky and shimmery. Make sure that you go silky yeah. and shimmery because that's important. If you don't do that, you can't win. Don't lose. Um, oh, really? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I think I did soft and shiny. So oh. dang it. Oh, so what did I just save points. Well, I think it's the connection I was going to make off of the, the turning into an ass thing is um, bottom in Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, I'm, go on. Yeah. Um, so maybe the, the, the thing that I thought was interesting about Eris's plan here to, to get Cloud to dress up as a girl is that you can see it as both Cloud... Um, seeing things from the feminine perspective, right? And so mm-hmm. getting that, that experience and then making him more um, more able to move on to his next stage of development sort of thing. But you mm-hmm. can also see it as uh, Eris in kind of a puckish way, um, oh, just yeah. around, you know, just like having fun because what fools these mortals be, right? Like just she, she is so, this time through, I have a harder time reading her because she seems so um, demonic in a way, you know, just yes. like messing what? around <laughs> and his feelings and everyone else's feelings. So, yeah, I, I, th- I think you could see it both ways. Like, um, like I said, that I, I prefer to see it as, you know, Cloud is, is forced to confront the feminine experience in a new way. He sort of like gains knowledge from this, but you can see it the other way too, that it's just like him going through a nightmare, um, a phantasmagoric mm-hmm. uh, dream. Well, and, and if, if, the way that humans perceive reality is the same way in which a hero progresses through a game, then I don't think it's inappropriate to suggest given how one's particular path is going at some time, it it is a dream or a nightmare. In fact, we do Mm -hmm. speak in that way, right? This is a nightmare. Please wake me up. When will this end? We talk in that sort of language, right? And so it's as if we encapsulate our experiences and the moments in our lives within narratives in the same way that dreams are encapsulated within uh, by or presented as narratives and uh, that she might be sort of a spiritual figure, I think is also supportive of the idea that she is the union anima and that that which is spiritual can be embodied by multiple or many people and all men uh, in order to perceive a woman before they know them have to project that figure of the animal. And so I, I think, I think there are uh, just different, potentially even just different words for the same thing and just different ways to describe the same phenomenon, like you're saying, which yeah. is part of what we were talking about with just the nature of this discourse, right? So yeah. like you and I have directly addressed on our podcast, 
we sort of lecture and podcast in a different way from, say, how our professors of philosophy would have. Rather than starting from an initial principle and deducing from that, we sort of start with a question and then we begin to amplify on it. And, um, and we make as many connections as possible to something, to an experience that we have in order to understand what the essence of that experience is rather than attempting, say, to criticize what the experience is by not seeing the entire constellation, but taking each particular piece out from that constellation and, and speaking of it as if it is alone that which is real, which is literally what to criticize from creating to cut away means. What? Etymology lesson. <laughs> yeah, I, I had pretty expensive education too. So... <laughs> So, yeah, can we just like, say how much we're in debt right now? <laughs> I, I, I think people will get that from the fact that we're doing a podcast. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, I, so I just have a couple more. Or, Wes, did you have something you wanted to do? I yeah, yeah. yeah, go, please. The, uh, the, the gym is an interesting spot because um, that's one of the um, by the dressmaker. He's like, hey, like if this is going to work, you're going to need a wig. I know some guys who can help you with that. They hang out. Right? But there's other places in Wall Market that you are not told about, um, but that you can go and and like Vince was saying, you can get you can get fully uh, equipped to to go uh-huh. to Don Cornea. Um, so so this is an interesting sort of element of this game where there's there's stuff beyond what you really need to do to progress um, that you can do, and it's it's like what Aries is doing in a way, right? the 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 joking around side like you can do this thing just for the fun of it just to see what happens if you if you push it to its extreme you know so you get to sort of play her role in a way here and and doll cloud up more than necessary just to see what will happen Um, and yeah and and for those of you who have already played the game uh you see what happens when you go all out when you're looking good (laughs) you you get control of the game Mm-hmm. Um, instead of being put into some side holding room while either Tifa or Eris are chosen instead. Right. So may- maybe you what I'm seeing, um, uh, something to take away from this is, in some cases, the power that can come from when you take a game seriously as a game, mm-hmm. um, like playing along with all these sort of created rules that maybe this psychopomp um, higher being has created. You take it me, seriously, but it's still let a game. I'll yeah. bring it home. So that, that would mean that the purpose of the game, or the reward for playing a game through to the highest level is that you get closest to embodying the ideal and are thus given the most attention by people. And that's why we call celebrities stars. Bang. Wow. <laughs> So actually, yeah. um, uh, another thing that I think this might be related to is treating, but by treating the game as a game and taking it seriously, we also discussed in our uh, in our secret group uh, discussions the inner sanctum. Just uh, <laughs> to this conscious, yeah, ness. the the ability to do multiple save points in which we aren't taking this reality or this game um, as the full reality, but partaking in it as the game. It has rules that we can sort of bend within Mm -hmm. and around, especially when it comes to choosing multiple scenarios or outcomes. And Alex, I I just want to sort of open the floor up to, um, your musings on that because I thought that was a really interesting um, some some connections that you made with that. Well, I made some connections originally. So let me just document my original experience playing yeah. the game. I originally did that because I wanted I was so enamored of Sephiroth and how powerful he was and the fact that he was level 50 and I was level 1 and he could do 10,000 damage and I could do like 5 damage and he was a master of everything and he, he was, was not and he could take no damage. So he was a perfect projection of the older brother or area of proximal development, that which is perfect. So even if he was not perfect, as far as Cloud was concerned, he was. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, I was 
I was taken by that, that part of the game. And so I made a save there, but I, when I make these multiple saves, I do feel sort of a, a pinch of ethics, possibly like how somebody who did those choose your own story goosebumps were, because I feel like I'm not being true to a single narrative, sort of like I'm cheating on somebody mm. by leaving the ground open so that I can pursue different storylines, even though I'm not starting the game over as if I'm not fully committing to one narrative and trying to leave my options open in it. It's as if I, I does not dissolve, but, uh, dim or diminish, but what, it, what is the word we use for to water? It's as if I'm watering down the experience, but there's good reason to do it as well as a scholar of this game at this po point, because exploring different options, of course, gives me a fuller view of what's happening. And so my idea was that sort of what starts off as sort of a stealing or an immoral act or a, a sort of hermetic or Promethean act of theft is what leads to mastery because it's precisely because it opens your mind up to those additional experiences you would not otherwise have seen that your consciousness is expanded to the point where you have a wider view or perspective of what the game actually is. Uh, again, a perspective more like um, that of the designer of the game mm -hmm. because you see more of what's there than of the simple player of the game, the person who goes along the prescribed path that's laid out and sticks by their choices. So that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I think I've tried to um, save here particularly because there's certain things you can't redo. Like if yeah. you mess it up the first time when you're doing the squat contest, you don't get another mm -hmm. chance. Like you just get whatever wig that you, they give you. Um, so it's always a good idea to, to be able to go back again and, and try it over again. So there's, there's that element too. Like even if you're looking at it just linearly, there's, there's certain parts of the game that you can't do over again. I think that's what you're describing with the, um, the, this cloud and Sephiroth being a team part. Like that's just a certain part in the game. You can't go back to once you pass it. Um, yeah. And it, it actually sort of disheartened at this moment because in my hurry to, to get to where you guys are, I've, I seem to have made some irrevocable mistakes. No. Oh. <laughs> you fucked up, and Alex. So, <laughs> it's true. It's true. And so we'll have to see. We'll, uh, well, you know, I guess then this game will be like life. And, we'll, and you know, you, when you miss chances to embody the ideal, you do not get those chances back. This is something I talked with Wes about at his wedding. I, I like I think a lot of young people these days because of many of the fantastic stories like Final Fantasy VII I grew up with uh, was sort of disenchanted with this world. We don't have talking tigers or flying <laughs> dragons. No, of course we do. Those are just symbols that I was too stupid to understand at the time. Um, uh, what, what we do I'm sorry that I made that funny comment but um, <laughs> No, it was good. I loved it. But, but, we do have our specific moments that do exist that we can make more or less special, sort of like how you guys were talking about playing the game to the highest level. Mm. Like you have your high school graduation and possibly your, your college graduation and maybe you get engaged and then you get married and maybe you have a child and that, there's a birth and then they go to school for the first time and then they win their first sports game. And it's like all these moments exist as potential most special moment of your life. And I think what I would get hung up on is the fact that these are shared experiences, that everybody gets to have these experiences. But there's an illogic to that perspective because if that made my personal experiences worse, wouldn't I hate Final Fantasy VII precisely because of how many people share in their love of it? Uh, yeah, that's part so, of why so many people hate this game, honestly. Like, it's it, it's considered overrated for the, the yes. very thing you're describing. Right, the thing that... So many people like it, so so many people hate it. Also, uh, it seems like they go hand in hand. I mean, um, I go ahead, Wes. Sorry. Oh, I, I, that was kind of trailing off. <laughs> I, I I will say that I do have sometimes with video games, in particular, and many other things in general, a sort of classist um, approach to it. Like when I hear people playing video games, I imagine like big thick neck beards and fedora wearing fucks and i'm like that's not me i'm not gonna do that i'm just gonna sit in my room and uh think about driving my motorcycle because i can't because it's broken 
Um, but nonetheless, sometimes I use that as a reason to not maybe engage in these yes. sometimes thought of as lower forms of art or human creation. But I mean, I would, say that is I would say that's precisely the problem of our sort of hipster cynical generation. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I am the toker, token hipster. Well, no, I mean, not to bash on you, but to say that it is precisely because we are doubting the value of the things which do have meaning in life that we turn up our noses at the most meaningful experiences of our life, thinking that since they aren't perfectly unique to us, we shouldn't engage in them, whereas the real art of life is to try and uh, engage with them as well as possible. It's like, so if everybody goes out on Fridays, it, is, it doesn't make you any happier or your life any more meaningful just to not go out, like you said. Then you just <laughs> define yourself by negation. You are like Nietzsche's last man. But if you attempt to embody the ideal, you attempt to have as much fun as possible to dress well, be charming and have a good time, it is almost as if you become a figure out of story and that that manifests itself in having a meaningful experience and that perhaps part of the sort of purpose of life is to have meaningful experiences that you can then convey and share with people in the form of narrative so that they can have them too. Well, um, to, to put like a really old stodgy amplification on this, you have uh, the phrase in Theotetus, does he speak Greek? Is there mm. this commonality of language that we can then use to um, explore what the heck this diagonal in a square is. Now that's uh, much more high-minded, but I sort of want to bring it down in that you also need to have common experiences, um, which is sort of a banal thing to say, but <clears throat> just to bring the full format out, the full idea, you also need to have um, common, shared, um, not maybe exemplary experiences if you are going to interact with people. Um, comedy, I think, is a way that that happens, um, especially with the niche rise in comedy that we get in internet culture. You and can I have- pause you on that yeah. I think you hit on something golden, which is, I think that's precisely also the trouble with what's happening in the world right now, that since we are now doubting the commonality of language and suggesting that each person's experience is completely individual, and thus they can use whatever terms to refer to themselves, to find in whatever ways they wish to refer to themselves. Yeah, yeah, what we're really quick, my, my pronoun missing. is caballero. Very good, caballero. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, linguist, of course. And, uh, <laughs> just kidding. and um, but, um, that what we are denying to ourselves by denying classification, even that which is scientifically verified across many, many, many dimensions, like gender, of course, would be that we're denying ourselves the capacities to live the most meaningful lives that have ever existed. Because we have, the access, we have access to the most profound health, the most goods, the most stories ever. We should be able to put together the most sophisticated games to bring out the most interesting experiences and interesting parts of humans ever. And I think that's part of the point of a game and life, to explore yourself in relation to others in order to understand what a human is. And that when we turn away from these experiences, we turn away from the point of being a human, which is to explore the world specifically through what the world is, which is social for humans, mm -hmm. and thus to explore oneself through exploring relations and problems with others. So you, you had this phrase that I forget the first time you told it to me, Alex, but it, it kicks in my head um, a lot. It's that these these truths aren't hidden in this day and age they're on the internet they are simply right. people simply do not look for them you put it much more eloquently but whatever um this sort of <laughs> overflow of information this huge access that we have um people typically think that uh, not not i'm going to rephrase that there's several um large groups of people who think because we have all this information we are therefore smarter, but there's also this lack of reading it and analyzing it and bringing it into yourself. So to make like a personal expansion on this, I work at a bookstore in a, um, in a geriatric um, 
uh, retirement town, and I have this old walking colostomy bag come up to me and say, when they put chips in our head, we'll be able to understand everything. Essentially, just saying that once we have Google inside of our head, we will we will become uh, a, a omniscient god. But and so what you, I think, are suggesting is that it's not the amount of information we have access to. And Wes, I want your idea on this too. But rather the logos we use in order to pick out that relevant information yeah. so that we can make connections between it. That you could give... <laughs> The opposite of you could give a thousand monkeys uh, 10 million years and some typewriters and they could make Shakespeare. The idea is actually, if you give a fool all the gold in the world, they will not, they will never keep it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If, you give, like if we, you give somebody all the information in the world and they lack the logos necessary, the attention necessary to connect the dots themselves, they will remain in a state of identification with the herd, which is believing that they know everything that their society knows while in actuality as an individual, they know practically nothing. Well, and that seems to be what Socrates Also means. that they're, they, they in fact think they know better than their society. I mean, we have yes, of course. Of unironic flat earthers. We have this QAnon <laughs> bullshit that's happening. We have Pizzagate, Comet Ping Pong, um, <laughs> All, all of these things that gain traction and momentum in this collective unconscious of the internet um, mm. that's allowed because of the vast connections that can be made. And yet you, you do have this sort of lamentation um, by certain members of society that there is a lack of critical thinking, perhaps maybe a trust in the past or maybe just a trust in thinking and listening to others, that's a, I'm not going to stick with that analysis, but. Well, no, what do you think of that, Wes? I think that's, I don't think that's bad at all. Yeah, no, I, I'm happy to talk to people who think differently from me. Um, but I agree that there comes a point where if you're going to talk to someone at all, you have to have a certain basis of shared language. I think that's the, the analogy with, with Greek, right? Um, <clears throat> from from the, the dialogue there, like, yeah, in order to speak to this person, whatever their station, whatever their past experience, there is a certain language, literal or figurative, which you've got to have in common. And I think the argument that we would make uh, is that there is such a language and it's it's basically that of being a person, right? Like a person who has a body, who has uh, the, the capacities um, to use reason uh, whether they choose to accept that or not, like that, that, that is actually like a, a kind of a biological basis type of argument. But you could yeah. look at it from the other side too. It's a word argument, they would call it. Yeah, <laughs> like, like a, you could say too that there's such a thing as logos, and and say that that is maybe not reducible to a, a biological basis, and that that could be a point of more or less importance for you, like theologically or metaphysically or whatever, but regardless, right? Like there is a certain basis of speech and decorum, which you gotta be able to have in order to have the conversation. That, that's that's right. hittable, like that's not too difficult to, to meet. Um, you need a field so which to play. Yeah. And so I think we have countless historical examples and my favorite one is this. Of course, we've talked about this, Wes, and what it takes to start something and what it takes, you know, to connect those who are willing to make something with you. So as to be, you know, a star within a constellation, not the North and Lonely Star, but the idea Whoa. of Thucydides, where he was once taken to task, where a man said, and I'm probably a Cretan, but that might be a projection on my part, too, that Thucydides, had you not been an Athenian, you would not be the great general that people know you as. Thucydides heard this and thought for a moment and then responded in typical Athenian fashion. That may be true, but even had you been an Athenian, you would not have been the general I am. It is true that <laughs> I did not make the field on which I play or give myself all that it is I have, that I do to some extent, like a character within a game, find myself embodied with certain qualities that I did not choose. But the sum of what I am 
is the choices I make in conjunction with that. And so you can't simply reduce me to that which is not my choice um, and thus discard that which is. I'm going to bastardize this uh, philosophical concept, but that sort of sounds like a very um, uh, maybe uh, infantile stage or proto-philosophical idea of Heidegger's and the existentialist idea of thrownness, yes, of being precisely. thrown into the world. Yes, that's right. And I mean, one finds oneself in every, in most stories starting in media race, right? So Heidegger was just yeah. taking an epic concept there. And so it's not a very difficult and one. And becoming a Nazi. Um, and so, you know, and something we do in this, in this podcast, particularly uh, what I think Wes and I have been doing is demystifying some of these thinkers Thrownness means you, as a subject nice. or as an object, were thrown into something. Just like when you start any story, like an epic, it starts in the middle. So you find yourself where you are, and then you go. And that's precisely how this story starts mm-hmm. as well. And so, you know, I think everybody can understand that sort of idea and that it's a good idea and that you shouldn't quibble about it for 50 years and think you haven't made any uh, progress because perhaps you've built your career on quicksand. Um, <laughs> So, so maybe something just the, the way you phrased uh, the, the idea had this pop into my mind. Um, there, there's another great th- thinker who we've inherited much of these sort of um, ideas and structures, thought structures from, and that would be Locke. And Locke has this idea of a sort of blank slate of humanity, the um, tabula rasa. And I, I might not be thinking this all the way through, but it seems as if this idea of thrownness, of this inheritedness, um, could be at odds with this idea of the blank slate, this human being coming into the world without um, any prior predispositions. Well, that's um, what I'm just going to have to footnote here. Stephen Pinker wrote yeah, a book. No, we can totally years. footnote that. Well, just just footnote that because Stephen Pinker blasted that idea out of existence 15 years ago in his work, The Blank Slate. It's a sophisticated work of uh, uh, experimental psychology. It's published <laughs> by a penguin. Nobody who has studied anything believes that anymore because it's simply not true. Oh, no, um, no, absolutely. Yeah, The Blank Slate is a, is a horrific uh, idea. But it does seem um, there are ideas, I think, derivative from that that we forget are traced back that's, to that. Now that's a good connection because those also, like weeds, need to be burned as well because the, yeah. the initial roots are dead. Um, yeah. And that tabula rasa idea, now that we've progressed so far experimentally, we just simply know it's not true. We come with basic preset motivational systems. We represent them by gods as Olympians. We unified that through... Uh, understanding that the logos can fu- can functionalize and hierarchize our motivational states so that we can move in conjunction with the highest good. And so we know this, bang. Um, <laughs> and it, you know, I, I don't see a lot of point in it, any scholars in any disciplines attempting to argue that. They just need to look at the experimental data. Um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, and that's something we're doing here too, right? We like a fire in a controlled way opposite to the irony of Fahrenheit 451 are burning away the dead twigs, the bad ideas that no longer have life that are starting to suffocate our society. And like hoarders, we are keeping them around and they are keeping us from leaving the original tree or uh, room of our RPG starting point. And so we have to burn these away so that we can trudge a path forward through the dark wood that we find ourselves in. Yeah. So, well, uh, Wes, yeah, yeah. Thing, how should we close? Yeah, go on. Well, I know you haven't quite got there yet, but when, you, when you're done with Don Corneo's, you're dropped into the sewers. I thought maybe we could. Yeah. That's where I assumed that we would kind of get to at the end of this. Just, so you, you'd mentioned the cover materia that you find in Eris's, uh backyard in her garden. And that's a, that's a pink materia. It's one that just does something without you having to take any further actions once you equip it. It just does it. Um, but this yellow materia, this is your first yellow materia that you find in the sewers, which is the steel materia. And it adds it adds a new ability to your list of actions in battle. So you actually like gain a new thing you can do uh, when you're facing your, your opponents. Um, so, that's what you find. 
That's what you find out in the sewers. Just so find, oh, so just to give the Petersonian Jungian sort of amplification of that. So in the lowest place, the alchemical explanation, I guess, in the, the place of filth where the dung is, you find, you find the gold that's hard to see. Um, and, and that gives you the ability, like a psychopomp or like Bilbo Baggins or like one Promethean, to steal from others uh, that which makes you uh, that which will give you a higher perspective. It gives you the ability to learn from others in a physical way. It seems so. Yeah. So, um, uh, so something to build off of this idea in the sewers is the boss that we meet there every mm-hmm. like thirty minutes or so of just direct playtime. Not say xp farming and doing side quests you encounter a boss it seems um and this boss is i think pretty interesting because it's the first mythological callback that we get in the game in something that we actually battle this this guy's name is ops aps and that is sort of a bastardization i remember hearing that like that sounds really familiar where do i know that Boom, I know that from Mesopotamian religion. Um, ops is, uh, is a form of transliteration of the consort of Tiamat, Abzu. Hmm. Um, and these were two primordial deities um, that we can explore later. Also, I just don't have all of it at the front of my head right now to say. It's anyway, okay. Apsu represented fresh water, whereas Tiamat yes. represented salt water. And the oh, great wow. light hero, Marduk, is the one who, with a net and, and I think trident, uh, captured and bounded the salt water or representation of the infinite, which is the great mother, Tiamat, yeah. in order to project a new hierarchy or patriarchal system onto it in order to create yeah. a field of play on that which would otherwise be chaos. Yeah, um, so, so we have clouds as Mordecai, not yeah. um, I, w- I would say from this, we can definitely begin to say that this is maybe a reordering by cloud of an mm. older system. And um, starting at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, you do start in the underground of these underground aquifers that Abzu um, represents is the deification of. So it's like a dissolutio and or a negredo. It's a a a coming down to the waters, grossed and filthy below, a humiliation, uh, a starting from the bottom, and we're still here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just want to, okay, so I do want to talk about that more next time after I play yeah, that. Absolutely. And I do think that he actually uses uh, a move. I forget if it comes later. Doesn't he use like a, a, a essentially a shitwave move? Yes. Yeah, shitwave. That, yeah, that's yeah, the direct. So he covers you in the filth, and that's deeply alchemical there because you'll, you know, the light of the logos is going to have to break you out of that, sort of like a chicken out of the egg, which is why a chicken is often represented in alchemy. Boom, because it gives Whoa. you a wake up call. Dang. Oh, I'm on fire. Today. Let's go. So one thing about the slums that I just wanted to bring up because we know a little bit more about human dominance hierarchies now and we understand now and Peterson often references this literature that when a hierarchy becomes too stilted and uh, high like a vertical wall that you cannot scale that um, those at the bottom will often form their own hierarchies as manifested in reality by gangs. Um, and they tend to compete in a violent way because violence tends to be the best strategy to quickly move up in that sort of world because you don't have a very high uh, life expectancy because of the violence there. And so something about these slums is that what attacks you as you're going between six and seven is a house. <laughs> yes, yes, that was fascinating. Tell me what you think. I wondered whether y'all thought like I did that the idea behind what creates poverty, and actually Warren Farrell gives some evidence about this in both. Did you say Will Farrell? Warren Farrell, the okay, the brother of Will Farrell, <laughs> the former president of the National Organization for Women, the Boy Crisis. He gives some evidence that what you have to do in order not to be poor in America, which is interesting because it's a Japanese game, is 
not be a single single mother uh, who doesn't uh, have a high school education or excuse me, not have a baby as a single woman without getting a high school education. And suggesting that part of what creates poverty in a society is a broken home. Mm-hmm. Well, so I, I thought that that house that we battle might be a sort of um, small scale manifestation of the greater house that we are in this, this, this Midgar, mm-hmm. this city, this mandala um, construction. That's also, um, and, and we should really just have an entire um, podcast where we just investigate this idea of Midgar as Mandala, um, because I think that's fascinating. We haven't had much time to talk about that. That's right. Um, but this this home, which presents itself initially in this very um, pinkish fashion, it has a very maybe maternal coloring scheme to it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it breaks out into a robotic monstrosity that attacks you. Mm-hmm. So there's this deceptive... Yeah, there's this um, deceptive action of this house on potentially um, its own inhabitants, uh, which which was society itself. Yes, yes. Like an Ouroboros, which is a circle, like a mandala. Self suck. (laughs) Wes, what did you think about? (laughs) It's not attacks you in the slums. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's it's pretty striking. Um, because it ha- it's the first uh, place that you go once you've escaped from Eris's house, right? So yes. in some way, it's yes, like a-, a dream about your old house. Yeah, 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 yeah right. Where you, um, your mom thinks that you should find a- an older girl, right? Uh, yeah. Take care best, of right? Which I'm totally down for. <laughs> God. Well, <laughs> yes. uh, I guess that. We've kind of figured it all out. I, I think that's that about sums up this episode, guys. <laughs> talking to you again soon. Uh, good luck with that, Vince. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm on Cougars looking for Cubs. Uh, great app. I, I'm actually a paid sponsor, so I'm plugging it right now. Everyone, uh, go sign up. Tinder is so 2017. Get on Cougars for Cubs. It's the next wave. Well, actually, it's how you're so, gonna make it. So. It's so funny how wisdom comes from the fool because I wonder <laughs> also I did wonder whether Cloud's father's comment on there are many there are many temptations and a lot of girls in the city, whether that was sort of a comment or a prefiguring of the temptations that would find themselves in our cities. And so, you know, living in San Diego where there's there are many, many communities all dispersed together with people rolling in and out and with the proliferation of online dating, it's almost as if the social controls that once existed in order to uh, sort of uh, push someone towards moral and normative behavior uh, do not exist. And so there are- Or so they're harder things. to reinforce. That's a, that, that's a better way of putting it. And uh, because of that, the city is a place like the forest now where you can get lost. And that that I think is sort of what's happening with cloud and why we keep seeing and now we've seen him for the first time sort of white out when he gives an answer that's a lie that he doesn't quite recognize as a lie to Ares when he gives his rank as soldier, which of course he can, never had. Can, can I present a, a, a confusion that I had? Yeah. Yes. Um, and Wes can answer it and then we yeah. got to complete this thing. Yeah. So, so Wes, my confusion was in, we, we have two flashbacks or two um, liminal sort of presentations in the past maybe two bosses uh-huh. um we have cloud when he falls after fighting the buster robot whatever it is and you have text that comes across the screen not in a blue screen but sort of just presented there almost as if it is i'm not gonna i'm not gonna describe it but that's what it is it's yeah. um just there and then we have that same presentation of text later and what I was confused about is whether that initial text without the blue box in the second sort of liminal stage flashback is the same as is the same speaker as the mother 
whose speech occurs in a blue bubble. So I was wondering if there's two speakers, if there's one, and what sort of problems that can um, open up for exploration. Yeah, I, I think that the mother scene is kind of self-contained and that the other voice is not not your mother's, but is a, akin to it in, in that it's a voice sort of a, a self from your past mm-hmm. um, who's, who's not... Uh, fully conscious at this point what with cloud current um, adventure right so but part of this adventure is us like proceeding to find out more about this other voice that's in cloud and that's actually one of nice happens in don corneo's uh in the honeybee sorry in the honeybee lounge one of the rooms if you go in you'll see a ghost cloud who talks to you (gasps) what yeah no you see this is the part that i like i don't think i ever knew this but so one of the rooms in there if you get the membership card from the guy with the white t-shirt in the bottom of the sector six wall market and then you go in so you can you can choose one of these rooms i think it's the i think it's the upper left room that has this uh particular weird scene i think there's a different weird scene if you choose the other room but anyway it's it's um shinra as a king i think (laughs) yeah which is also terrifying excellent yeah, yeah actually, you gotta do this before we talk next time and we'll look at it yeah this is your homework okay. alex <laughs> yeah absolutely because that was killer wes and um i guess what i could end with here even though i said y'all can end is just <laughs> evidence for something wes said earlier about shared experience making things better because it looks like as we continue to share more and more experience not only playing the game together but talking about it live and publicly and also hashing things out on on our uh, instant messenger uh, unconsciously as well. uh, it's like we're getting better and better every time the more that we share so perhaps that says something about the meaning of life whoa well let's keep exploring that guys until next time yeah right on signing off okay. thanks take care see ya Bye.